Sexton, the 505 with more 411 here for your third hour. I am Eddie Ergon, The Rock of Talk on AM 1600 KIVA and 93.7 FM here with uh, former Albuquerque Police Department Chief Mike Geyers. He uh, shares his experience and thoughts and uh, all of this information uh, that uh, we didn't exactly have before. And I want to thank him for coming forward, uh, having the courage to uh, share uh, what has happened and transpired uh, from December 1st of 2017 all the way until September 30th of uh, 2020. Chief Guy, good afternoon. How you doing today, Eddie? I'm doing well. I'm glad that you're here, and I have to tell you, I might direct this a little bit more for my own, so feel free to just you know hold back where you need to, but I don't really know this new interim police chief very well, and there's a lot of questions as we continue to go down this direction in terms of a, how you were taken out, and I would say very explicitly that you were taken out. B, you know, the succession plan going forward, which is built upon the things that you've implemented. C, why we don't know about those things that were implemented, everything from ShotSpotter to some of the other technology and uh, implementation programs that you were running. And D, why there's such a, you know, sort of fracas uh, going on within the Albuquerque Police Department in the midst of our highest crime rates of all time. So since you hired him and you brought him on board, um, you know, and, and you were uh, mentoring him, I'd kind of like to get to know. We've reached out, attempted to reach out uh, with, with no uh, opportunity to actually uh, speak to the mayor or um, the Albuquerque Police Department chief, um, new interim chief, uh, Harold Medina. Who is Harold Medina? Well, I first met Harold um, working, uh, well, it was probably around 1996. We were in the same squad together. A graveyard squad in the Northeast. Um, and I became friends with him. He was a good guy and, you know, uh, got to know each other and worked together for a while. It was at some point later, I mean, I helped him study for a sergeant's test after I made sergeant. Uh, he, uh, at that point, I was a lieutenant and we were part of, well, before I was a lieutenant, I brought him in. We were working on a program together called the Party Patrol. Which was an under- oh yeah, I remember that very effective program actually. Yeah, it really did. It it, it stopped. Uh, we had a lot of issues with young people dying from overdoses or incidents at parties or shots fired or accidents and things like that, and it brought it down to almost zero. And we actually got national recognition and spoke at con- conferences, and uh, the state gave us a lot of money to help uh, promote that program. You know, even through a lot of advertising as far as to try to prevent kids from getting hurt and. Um, and we worked really well. He did very well with the community engagement part. We worked with the, high, the schools. We worked with uh, YMCA, other groups that um, all had similar interests in, in protecting our, our youth. Um, and so it was really good experience. I thought that, that uh, we were recognized for that. I re- thought that we worked really well together. Um, at some point later on, um, he became a lieutenant in property crimes, and I was uh, working different times in the field um, where I, toward the end of it, we actually overlapped. We both were field uh, commanders at the same time. So I I had helped him along his way, and we were really good friends. And I I really loved the guy. I thought, you know, that, um, you know, I mean, once you're, you know, you're pretty close to somebody, you you think you can trust them, you think you know them. At the time I left um, Albuquerque to go to Rio Rancho, shortly thereafter he went and I became a chief. Well, first he was a captain, then I believe he became a chief in uh, Laguna, Pueblo. And so we still kept in touch, and, you know, he asked for advice, and I, I know he tested in California for agency there, and 
he had asked for some help in terms of preparation for the interview, and so we were still close. I mean, we had even talked about if the opportunity came back to work to Albuquerque, go back to Albuquerque, that we would work together to try to help make it a better city and a better department. So at that point, um, you know, I knew there was always rumors. I mean, you always hear something about different people, but I, I never saw past, you know, the good person that I saw in Harold Medina. So it was kind of a no-brainer for me as when I was trying to look for a strong strong person to, uh, you know, help pick up the pieces, so to speak. A strong personality. Per, strong personality. And we, we had a, he had a you know, a effective work record. I mean, he, was, he got things done, and we know we needed that. So I had no qualms, and um, as far as that was the selection I was allowed, it was to bring him here, especially with field, because we were short-staffed and with crime. Um, those were both our fortes, and we working together, I thought the synergy would be great. So I brought him here. And, you know, Eddie, I don't know what happens to people sometimes. Um, I know, you know, sometimes people don't have aspirations to be a chief, and it just falls in their place. Well, well he did. Yes. Uh, that's one of the things that we're finding out. And I went and uh, looked back on this because, you know, I, my focus was not this. Uh, really, honestly, I just wanted to find out what happened with the department, where you're going, and this has turned into, you know, a four-day sojourn into – what uh, and where we are going here in the state of or the city of Albuquerque, and I went to the Albuquerque Journal article, and the article was released on a Saturday. Uh, Matthew Risen, Elise Kaplan of the Albuquerque Journal says, "Checkered history casts shadow on APD's acting chief. How did he become acting chief? Why was it not left to any of the other brass? How did he get selected?" I realized yesterday we had a conversation about Sarita Nair, uh, that there was conversations that Harold had with Sarita Nair and, and Tim Keller, but how did it just go to him? Your thoughts? Obviously, you weren't brought into uh, that portion. but Right. Toward the beginning of the summer, um, the mayor had some talk about a succession planning, and one thing they didn't want to do, both him and Sarita, was uh, create the... Um, assistant chief position, like there was under the former administration. Um, they had, you know, they were adverse to doing that, but they still wanted to have, uh, you know, like if I went on vacation or got sick or, or whatever, um, that there'd be somebody there that knew my job and could step up. And so that was toward the middle of the summer. Um, I reorganized the whole the whole structure of the department. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... Um, one of the things the mayor wanted was to look at some options from other departments in terms of how those positions could be defined here. And so what we came up with, there was obviously we could look at as an assistant chief and then the chain of command would fall under, all the deputy chiefs would fall, he would fall under me or, and all the rest would fall under him. Um, but then we came up with this first deputy chief and second deputy chief where um, those would be the heir apparent, for lack of a better word, um, and at that point is when um, they brought up Medina as being Deputy Chief 1 and Smathers being Deputy Chief 2. So they introduced the idea, uh, you know, planted the seed. Right, and I, I wasn't in disagreement at that time, only because I knew um, Deputy Chief uh, both Gonzalez and Eric Garcia uh, had, you know, not recent plans that they were going to retire, but they knew that pretty soon that they would probably be retiring, and I knew... J.J. Griego was, had 20 some, 23 years, I believe, as well. Um, you know, they were at the end of the careers, and I didn't think any of them really 
that would upset anybody. I know since then, uh, Eric Garcia is now deputy chief two, and Smather is number one. So it wasn't. I wasn't in a disagreement with that in terms of what we had to work with. Um, but what had happened before, and all the things that I look in retrospect. I mean, someone just told me just yesterday that the, uh, two weeks into the job, after like the middle of December, that he told that person, Medina told him that he was going to be chief before the end of the four years. And so going way back then, and even what I remember from when Gordon Eden was, um, be, before he was selected and they were doing that search, um, I, I recognized, I mean, I knew that Harold Medina had put in back then. So he had that prior aspiration going back to, you know, way back in, in back in the day. So I noticed that then I remembered all the rumors that he was telling people um, several of them, you know, were, were concerned that he was going to be chief or I was leaving. Um, and again, right up to the end, and I think we discussed that yesterday, is where, you know, he told people, you know, he told me, uh, I'm, I think you're going to get fired, I'm going to be interim chief, and they're going to do a national search. So he, he almost like he orchestrated this to be true. How much of that worked side by side in his conversations with Sarita and the mayor, I don't know. I wasn't there. Well, uh, he certainly has, um, you know, what people would refer to, uh, <laughs> well, you know, audacity or audaciousness in terms of uh, his pursuit for a higher level of power. And this is what concerns me. You know, to be fair, I have yet to meet him or have a conversation with him, and I'm hopefully looking forward to having that conversation with him. Um, but I have to tell you, it's um, sort of uh, an unfair and unsavory start because I don't really – I think appreciate in the way that this whole thing went down, uh, plus the level of uh, unprofessionalism uh, in terms of the transference of power, uh, plus the uh, shots that were taken, uh, no pun intended, uh, against you after you left, which I think is just bad. If he had a problem with that before, certainly we would have heard, or you would have heard of that at least, and we didn't hear any of that uh, at all other than to say that he is going to succeed you far be before you even knew that uh, you were going to be succeeded. Uh, I think you were alluding to the fact yesterday that uh, I think it was weeks into the administration he had already alluded to the fact to others that he was going to succeed you. Yes, I mean, I, I, I'd heard it, and, you know, I, it, when you first hear it, you don't really put a lot of weight into it. But when it continues for two years, um, where I hit to the point where I had to send out a rebuttal letter to all of APD, um, and when you hear it from different, you know, right up to the end, uh, at some point somebody at the city hall listened to him and whatever he was saying, maybe against me or uh, maybe his programs where he was trying to, you know, tout his, his you know, his ability to run the department, uh, I wasn't privy to a lot of that. And, and he was different when I was in the room with, meeting with him, but he, he did, you know, he had a big ego and he was driven um, to the point of where I think then he lost uh, maybe some of his other values in terms of just loyalty and friendship and, you know, and basically empathy and compassion because he was, his reputation was he was a bully. He himself in the article said he kind of rules by fear. Um, yeah, let's talk about that for a moment. I think this is kind of the part that's taken me back and where I wanted to go with this is is exactly Albuquerque Journal, uh, which is the only actual uh, PR piece that we've done. Has uh, To your knowledge, has Tim Keller formally introduced him uh, as the interim chief, or was it just that he's the acting interim chief? Was there a presser on it? Um, well, the day that I did, um, you know, when I announced that I was going to retire, the right after I left the, the podium, he went up and he told the plan, and then he introduced uh, that the deputy or deputy chief that time, Medina, was going to become the interim chief or serve as the interim chief. So I don't know if that's an official appointment or it's like a. Did you talk to him after that press conference? 
Medina or Medina? No. Did you talk to Tim Keller after that press conference yet again? No. So that was it. Once you resigned, you have yet to have a conversation with either one of them. That's right. Regardless of the other things in terms of buttoning up the uh, sort of loose ends uh, as far as police chief goes. Right. I mean, most of that is admin stuff that I did. The two weeks um, after that announcement, pretty much um, I already lost my executive assistant, so I was doing double paperwork trying to catch up. I was did you my... leave them any information uh, as far as that executive paperwork with directions, plans, uh, here are things that you need to know before I turn in my keys? No, and as I mentioned, none of them talked to me. There was at least one in particular that put his head down and that walked, is amazing. walked right by me. Um, and, and that would be? Smathers. Uh, and um, and then again, is I, I can look back in retrospect and see how this led up to it because there was, I don't want to call it like a coup, but there was a lot of interaction, including I think Gil Gallegos and John Ross at the time who were here, that were also maybe looking for, you know, at least Ross for particular for higher positions in the department. And so there was collaboration. And, and you know what, I called them out on, yeah. you know, the nonsense card when things were happening. And I think that caused them, you know, to lose their little the, the momentum that they were getting. But, yeah, and I, I you know, I would have more than willingly, uh, I actually drew up a list of like a transition plan, but, I wasn't going to give it to him unless he came in and at least sought it out and had, you know, at least, get, you know. And he never did. He never did. Uh, so. Dog eat dog. Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, that was, that's about the most hostile of environments I could possibly think of. Uh, uh, not ex- exactly the type of environment I would think would be taking place had it been a peaceful transition of power and or a peaceful resignation. Right. And, and one of the things I heard from people that were still in that, group but maybe not you know in a clickish way but just because of the interactions they told me that he was saying is now all the deputy chiefs are united um behind keller and it's the, you know like this blood brothers pact that they were making um which again i think we talked about this yesterday not one of them ever individually came up to me and expressed their concerns in weekly exec meetings where they could have uh, done that even as a group and ganged up against me they never had the courage or the you know, the fortitude to come forward and say anything. But I saw a lot of closed door meetings or groups, you know, people grouping down the hall in the same office. And, um, you know, and again, I mean, I've been around life a long time. I don't play high school games or, you know, this cliquish stuff and, you know, rumors. Again, that was the first things he said. One of his announcements to the troops in a citywide briefing was, well, we're not going to have rumors like we had last time. Well, most of the rumors were started by him or his people. So, uh, it, it's just he turned into somebody that I I, I wish I had uh, more heads up in years past. I, I, what a decrepit work environment. That is unbelievable. Uh, to say it's hostile uh, would be the uh, understatement of the year. Let's go back to this uh, article written by Elise Kaplan uh, here uh, dated Saturday, September the 25th or 28th, excuse me, and uh, has uh, Medina, Harold Medina, tearing up because he shot a classmate of his daughter's. I'm um, not sure if you caught that at all, but yes. uh, this young man lost his life, uh, Donovan Montoya. Uh, one officer went the other direction, and uh, Harold Medina decided to go ahead and unload uh, three shots into an 18-year-old holding a BB gun. Right. I mean, you know, in, in my career, is one thing I've learned is you don't second-guess somebody because in, in our job is we're making split-second decisions and – you know, what goes through your mind at that time, if there's a flash where you think you're going to die and it's reasonable, I mean, it's not, you know, something that you can't contrive or you have to be very articulated, I wouldn't second guess it. But the evidence would speak to things like, 
what kind of tactics did you do before? Did you put yourself in that jeopardy or could you have done things better? You know, and, and to some extent we have to do that as a lessons learned perspective to prevent those kind of incidents. So he was involved in that, and there's another article in there about the Ken Ellis shooting, which I'm sure. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. And you know, I I, th- I think that's very very big of you to look at it and not second guess that, and you know, take the uh, low hanging root. Let's take the next incident pointed out. The uh, uh, and by the way, did uh, Montoya's family receive a cash settlement uh, from the Albuquerque Police Department? You know, it's interesting because I don't know. I I thought they did file a wrongful death back then, but I wasn't as act- it was a little bit longer than even the Ellis case, so I wasn't really actively you know, in a ranking position to pay that much attention to it. But I, I believe it would probably be on file if they did. Okay. And uh, you said this Carnall case? I'm sorry? The other case uh, oh. that was uh, no There was three cases noted in the yeah. uh, the uh, Ken Ellis, excuse me. Ken right? Ellis, yeah. yes. Um, well, that was the shooting of the... The, he was the veteran. A military vet with PTSD. Um, it was a result of uh, a joint operation of some of the detective units in the different area commands that were experiencing, I believe, auto burglaries and auto thefts. Uh, working together, which is a good operation. Um, they f- had followed him for some reason out of an apartment complex to a 7-Eleven there at Eubank Constitution. Um, he got out of the car, put a gun to his head, and walked to, to the side. And obviously, we had to, they had to clear everything out, the store. The, there was a nursery, nurse, uh, school, nursery school right next door and a busy intersection. So basically, it was shut down, and there were about eight or nine, at least, unmarked cars in this small parking lot and only one CIT detective that was trying to negotiate or talk to this this individual who was in crisis. Um, and at the time when the, the shooting happened, I mean, he was talking to his mom on the phone. He he was he, shot while he was on the phone with his mother. Right, and it was it turned out it was a, an accidental discharge. But leading up to that, when they were on the scene, again, these are all detectives. Uh, one of the things that you do with a situation where you're trying to contain somebody is keep distance. And so they asked on the radio air anybody that had a rifle. And normally you would want somebody at a field officer position, not somebody of rank because um, somebody has to take the charge of the scene. And Medina was a lieutenant. He was in, I believe, property crimes. He had some connection with this operation but not direct supervision of it. But he responded in that capacity and rushed to the scene, um, immediately took over. It was all in in his deposition. Um but even back then, the ranking officer, their job wasn't to get actively involved and be that person with a gun or the person talking to somebody. They were to, to take a 360 degree and take the perspective of what what's going on here and try to you know pull people back or get better positions or you know uh, basically get more people that are trained like negoti- trained negotiators to come there. Instead, he comes out with his rifle, lays on the ground, and gives orders to kind of like rules of engagement, so when, if this guy moves the gun this way, is you can use deadly force. And even in his own deposition at the time, he says, yes, he was ready to use deadly force. And so wow. because everybody was out there with guns, there wasn't any direction. Uh, the next rank was sergeants that were involved at a lower level. Um, the tragedy happened. And This I, was at a 7-Eleven. Right, and I was part of a, following in the following months, a critical incident review board um, where he was chastised for just doing that, is that it was his job to control it. I mean, he, he had that young man's life in his hands by maybe backing off everybody with guns. I mean, you don't need 12 people pointing guns at somebody. Um, you know, you try to do more of a, a strategic, you know, distance where, you know, you don't get close up to begin to put yourself in that position of jeopardy. And so, I mean, it, you know, again, it was a mistake and it turned in very tragic. 
but it, it seemed like even in that article and, and from his deposition that he was trying to you know, say that, that that wasn't his job at the time, but he did get chewed out for that. So accidentally discharged. Uh, whose gun accidentally discharged? It was a detective, uh, one of the detectives on the side that had his gun on, and I guess the, what, I guess we'll never know what went through his head, but um, I'm assuming that, you know, the accidentally discharge, you have to have your finger on the trigger. He might have twitched when he saw the, the individual move and or had finger pre- pressure on the trigger as it happened, um, and it, the gentleman was hit while he was on the phone. Again, there was no evidence ever presented. This is one of the cases the DOJ yeah, no. looked at and used yeah. and leveraged. And uh, this was back in 2014? Um, I believe the incident was, that's when DLJ came here. It was an incident from maybe, I'm going to guess, 2009, 2010. Uh, 2010, yeah. 2010, yeah. Okay. So he was involved and uh, subsequently left the police department after the fact. Not because of it, but after the fact. After that incident uh, in 2014. Are you talking about Medina? Or Medina. Well, he, he left in around 2014, um, yes, to go take the job in Laguna. Okay, interesting. I would have thought he, that would be a, a bit of a demotion for someone looking to be a chief of a department. Um, would there be any reason why him going to Laguna would have helped him? Well, I mean, he, he retired, so he'd still have his pension, and the, the um, Pueblo police aren't part of PARA, which is our you know retirement system, so he would have his pension plus whatever the full salary was for the rank that he got there. So kind of not double dipping, but that kind of concept. I would imagine uh, with a a nice pension. What do you what's the police officers afforded uh, when they retire? Back in 2014, what what type of package would he have had? Well, if he had 20, 20 years on, obviously he would have got 70 uh, percent of his full pay of his top three years for the last uh, for the rest of his life. Yes. Well, yes, and if if if, if he picked a certain plan um, and he named his spouse as a beneficiary, um, if he it was a little bit less, but then if she if he died or passed on, she would get the full benefits as well for the rest of her life. Does does he have a family? Yes. Okay. Uh, wife, I would imagine, brother. Yes. Spouse. Okay. Wife, and he's got a, a daughter, and I think he had both a stepson and a stepdaughter. Okay. Um, I want to continue and, and talk about another incident that was brought up in the uh, Albuquerque Journal, and that was the most recent one, or the Onyate. There was no engagement, no defense. Uh, our monuments you've seen uh, just this week on Indigenous Peoples Day, uh, we call it Columbus Day here in the Kiva, uh, that they were uh, toppled there, and the Albuquerque Police Department uh, had no engagement whatsoever. I would imagine at this point, given the amount of activity that uh, Harold Medina, an interaction that he had with both Tim Keller and uh, Serena Nair, it was uh, noted uh, quite explicitly that Harold Medina was in charge of this operation. Well, he was the highest ranking officer, which was the incident commander. Um, obviously, the delegation to the expertise of the emergency response team and the SWAT team, while they fall under him, I, I know he had been in SWAT before, he had some experience, but, you know, he would work through them. But uh, you know, there was other influences. I, I think I mentioned to you guys that um, um, I told him about the previous incident and getting some blue shirt officers, bike patrol, you know, PRT type officers down there, at least by the statue when the, the prayer uh, session was going on in Tigway Park, so that somebody was standing there. There was nobody to stand in there. Um, the whole thing with the, the Civil Guard, um, again, we had had an incident with John Jones from the, you know, the, you know UFC. Um, where he was kind of being a vigilante with his group and protecting and 
uh, it came across negative for us, like we were in alliance with with their group, and you know they didn't want us to be appear to be that kind of biased in that regard. But I, when they showed up, one of the things is that hasn't been you know brought out, and I just found this out myself from a group of photographers uh, that were there was. People were calling nine one one. Yeah, thirty some calls, but right. some of those calls were, and I've this was the first I heard of this. Yeah, and I know it came from them. Is that uh, some of the crowd actually got a shotgun away f- from the, uh, the the civil guard, and rather than if we had put them to the side and said, "Look, we we're glad you're here." I mean, we wouldn't even said that. We would have said, "Look, we respect your right to assemble. We respect your right to bear arms." We don't need your help here. Could you please just stand here and you can observe from a distance? But there was no engagement with either the civil guard or the people who were tearing no. up property. Uh, the numbers there were about uh, 300 to 10 people for the civil guard, plus an additional three or four people on the other side. Uh, looks like, according to the Albuquerque Journal, Medina was in charge of what was happening there, right. and uh, he had replied to all of this. We're planning it. We're planning to stay neutral adding that if they didn't commit a crime, which they were destroying property, a team would move in and arrest them. That never happened that night. No, and that's that's what was concerning what I heard yesterday is that group actually got a shotgun away from that group, and we, we were supposed to be monitoring it from cameras, but we had no ground officers except the, the a couple undercovers that were in that crowd of 300, and they were a little farther away from the statue. But that's what some people were calling 911, was that, they just got a gun away from these guys. Well, the, they, the guard fought back and got the gun, but that was before the incident with Baca running and getting shot after getting hit in the face with a skateboard. So, again, we had nobody on the ground to kind of be on top of things that kind of led to, you know, it's one thing to topple a statue because I think there was something said about not or not giving up property so as not to lose the trust of the community. But, I mean... So why was your directive ignored on all of this? Well, can, you, can you tell me? That, that's part of that that progression of uh, where he he either knew or he was you know planning to be to be the chief, and uh, he was you know there were a couple other examples of that with kind of a disregard for what I said or his 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 uh, approach uh, he did regardless, and that was that was a prime example of the problems I was having with him. Well, it's pretty clear that Medina was uh, being directed by both Tim Keller and Sarita Nair who didn't want to interfere, and uh, obviously they're the ones who finished off taking down the Oñate statue, uh, politically expedient uh, for them, uh, no doubt, uh, based upon their politics. And uh, Medina was uh, sort of uh, straddling it between Sridhanair uh, and Tim Keller and your uh, directives, and it looks like he wanted to hedge on on a part where he was taking the directives from, but uh, he says... <laughs> He says he's uh, heard rumors that the mayor, the chief administrative officer, were calling those shots at the Oñante protest, but he said that that is not true. Uh, clearly, based upon what you're saying, I think uh, that, that's exactly what it was, is uh, he was direct, taking directives from the mayor. Well, it, there was a press conference at some time after that, and we had all uh, had a debrief where we watched closely the videos and heard from the people that were directly involved, from the SWAT people to the people inside. But at that press conference, uh, Medina and one of the lieutenants that from ERT, who did a really good job with the overview uh, and the timeline, Medina was asked twice, who gave the stand-down order? And both times he avoided it. But then toward the end of that press conference, and I was sitting in the back, it was in the Real-Time Crime Center, um, he blurted out the executive team. 
what does that mean? I mean, I, he didn't mean the mayor's office, so he kind of implied that I'm a I'm was one that made that, or somebody in my staff we to go, collectively made that, and it wasn't true. So what does that imply? I don't know. Does it imply he was covering up for them? I mean, you can assume whatever you want, but definitely it wasn't truthful, and he felt compelled to to do that at that time for whatever reason, and that knee-jerk reaction really was wrong, and I think that led to some of the confusion that came out afterwards as far as were they up there running the show or, or who was running the show. So the Ellis family received $10.3 million. Uh, that w- involved uh, Medina. Uh, it looks like the, there was an appeal on that, so they finished off at $7.95 million. It looks like there was a, a settlement on the other incident uh, as well, uh, somewhere in the same amount of money. And then we haven't even got to the other portion of this, which is uh, dealing with the fallout and the award that's going to be given to the man who was shot there because the Albuquerque Police Department uh, didn't engage in that. And we haven't even covered some of the other uh, issues uh, that were out there. I mean, all in all, we're looking at uh, nearly $20 million uh, in awards uh, thus far. And the Montoya family... um, they're still upset about these uh, police reforms. They think that they're not even going to take it in, in all this. And I just got to tell you, this does not look good uh, at all for the Albuquerque Police Department in terms of dealing with the reforms that with Medina at the helm moving forward. Uh, do you think Tim Keller could move into a different direction and select somebody else uh, just to comply with the uh, Department of Justice? Because I, I can't imagine that the Department of Justice is going to be very happy uh, based upon one of their cases being the very one that Medina was involved in as they use for their Department of Justice uh, uh, edicts that come down. Right, and I, I think there's a little double standard that, um, again, is, you know, we have a lot of these amici groups and these advocate groups for, you know, that kind of reform, that kind of justice, uh, restorative justice in our department. Um, but we had one of our ERT lieutenants that were up there uh, doing a great job, as a matter of fact, uh, Sean Wallace, uh, was pulled from his assignment by Sarita, and the reason was is because he had one of these private or uh, previous lawsuits. He was named by the DOJ in a. Okay, post- so if he was pulled, why wouldn't Medina even uh, be allowed to go to the top? That makes no sense. Well, and this, I'm using the same logic. It, it's exactly the same logic, and I, I, I can't. And his was to just he was an ERT, and he was behind the scenes. There was, as far as the active groups or whoever there getting concerned about his background, they wouldn't even known that he was running the show. Um, but Medina's was visible as a being brought forward as the act or interim chief, knowing that he had you know three of these black marks for sure on his record. I don't know how the you know I saw in the article in the newspaper the other day about the Martin Luther King Commission too how they said bringing him in would be twenty twenty steps back. I don't know how they can even go before the DLJ and say here's our best candidate when he's the you know this you know the anti. Uh, you know, reform chief in that regard. And, uh, and from that standpoint, you know, Tim Keller, Mayor Tim Keller, just gave the, uh, I believe, Black Lives Matter uh, $1 million from the city of Albuquerque. So that doesn't make any sense either from that standpoint. Well, and that's, that's what I was going through at the end. And, I, I mean, I, to tell you the truth, my head was spinning. I was confused as what was going on behind the scenes. And then, obviously, the post rhetoric about, oh, well, it was your fault. From crime was my fault to everything else was my fault when – Well, who's running the department? Uh, From my understanding, and I've got uh, some other conversations that I have with other people here, but from my understanding, uh, and I wasn't going to go in this direction, but it's my understanding that uh, Harold Medina's wife works for Attorney General Hector Balderas. Is that correct? Do you know anything about that? 
I, I believe that's correct. Um, it's also my understanding that Harold Medina's wife also tried to be a police officer, um, but failed the academy a couple of times. Is that also correct? Yes. Okay. So it, I, I'm not really sure what's going on here, but this seems to me that uh, something's rotten uh, in Denmark here. Um, I'm not sure, but I see the uh, department becoming increasingly politically motivated. Uh, certainly, uh, Brian Cologne and Hector Balderas on the opposite side of the issue uh, as Tim Keller and uh, Raul Torres. And uh, we have our own issues that are here. Raul and Tim are tight, uh, probably with Sarita Nair being uh, somewhere in the middle. Harold Medina is working for the police chief, and Harold Medina's wife works for Hector Balderas. And then you have Brian Cologne and Hector Balderas in, in all this. I mean, it seems a little bit incestuous. It seems like a little battle going back and forth. There's no doubt that uh, maybe you didn't know that your head was spinning because, you know, there is some really interesting influences that are happening. We're just trying to take care of the damn crime, man. Well, I mean, I never took political science. And I, I said before, as I was I'm a cop, uh, I didn't want to be a political aide. I didn't want to get involved in that realm. I know it was part of my job, but not apparently not to the, the extent that it really was what was really going on. And, and I, in the two, almost three years I was there, I did get some insight into that kind of behind the scenes, uh, you know, goings on with po the world of politics in the state of New Mexico and even nationwide. And, you know, and it, again, uh, my focus wasn't that. So I yeah. kind of went over my head. Well, you're from Chicago. You you know about political corruption, but I don't know. <laughs> this is this is sort of bordering on that to a certain degree, given the level of confluence between uh, all the various uh, parties and all this. And you know, not the least of which is the bail reform, the Arnold uh, uh, risk assessment tool, and the various other factors that are going into this. Uh, let me just ask you as we just kind of wrap things up here, and, and, and I'm going to level with you. Uh, I've been very critical of you uh, prior to you uh, knowing you, but I didn't realize how you were handling your job. You were taking direction directly from uh, Tim Keller and trying to do what's uh, right on behalf of uh, both the Department of Justice to make sure that we're compliant, but uh, all, as well as your police officers, as well as the community to make sure that we're cleaning up crime but doing it the right way so there aren't any behavioral issues. I mean, this is the fine balance uh, that, that you're striking, but, uh, you know, you're, you're a private citizen now. You're at home. You have your family. I have to ask you, are you hopeful for crime improving, improving here in the next year, uh, based upon anything new that the Albuquerque Police Department is going to actually implement, are we going to see even more politics? I'm going to talk to Sean Willoughby on Monday, and I'm going to put this information in front of him and say, hey, man, what's up? What's up with the Albuquerque Police Department and, and the, uh, the, the, the boys in blue out there on the street? Uh, are, are you guys really going to get behind this level of political corruption? So I have to ask you, I mean, it's a choice between corruption political expediency and the safety of the community. What do you see winning out here? Well, I mean, first of all, Sean Willoughby as a president is, was very close with, with Harold Medina. Um, oh, okay. And, wow. And another thing that I think is positive, and it was with the, you know, I saw the article with the U.S. attorney being here yesterday. I, I think now that we're acknowledging that the feds are allies and they're they're not that, that uh, opposing force that's going to cause havoc here in our city and, and uh, riots in the street, is I think that if they let just the cops do their jobs, the officers on the street, these these federal agents that are here for no other purpose other than to reduce violent crime and get rid of the political rhetoric and all the suspicion and uh, you know misunderstandings that have been been portrayed, that's what drove me nuts the last nine months. Is I, I felt I couldn't do my job. It's not just 
micromanaging, but it's that whole, like you just said, that whole culture of politics that nothing is what it seems to be. And I think that what now that we have the feds, they've called them out on it. John Anderson said it again yesterday. Um, there's still that rhetoric of why they didn't sign it. You know, there, there was a little delay, and I guess on a website or something. But we're talking ten months. You know, there this went on for ten months. They wanted crime to get better. They would have signed it right from the very beginning. There was nothing to negotiate. Uh, take a quick uh, gander at that uh, long. I didn't even get around to asking about John Anderson's uh, a direct uh, fourteen-page note to uh, Tim Keller. Well, I mean, he, I can imagine his frustration from some of the phone calls I had with him. Um, you know, he. He can only do so much. Obviously, he has a boss too, and there was some direction, and uh, there's there's limited things that where he had control over. But he did agree to do uh, the mem- memorandum of understanding that kind of outlined the conditions, um, and it we went through that a few times. And so I think what he saw was the same thing that I saw: is just take the money. I think that you know if something was going to happen that you thought was wrong, then fight it then. But you're you're presuming in advance that. This is the case, and this is going to happen, and this doomsday prophecy caused you know, havoc in our city with the rise that I saw when we are trying our efforts to try to reduce it. It's going up. I mean, my frustration is you know, going through the ceiling myself is because it's, everybody's working against what we're trying to do. Yeah. Chief Guy, thank you for spending the week with me. This has been enlightening. I'd like to have you on the show again. Uh, sorry for making you work so hard this week and asking you to come back in, but I, I just had to know what was going on since... I'm a native. I care so much about the city, and our citizens do as well. Well, and it, it's kind of cathartic for me to be able to just talk because I've been holding it in, and you know, in the after the retirement decision, um, you know, a lot of thoughts have gone through my head where I feel, you know, like I've been wronged. But, but I, I don't want to make it appear like that. I'm concerned for the future too of the city. Well, we both have families, and everybody wants Albuquerque to be a better place. Back after a quick break, the top of the hour Fox News on this evening, where I'm going to go all the way till 11 o'clock. We'll have all your coverage tonight of the town halls right here in the Kiva. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bill O'Reilly is next. I understand.